นโมทัสสะบุคคตัวรหัตัวสัมมาสัมพุทธัสสะนโมทัสสะบุคคตัวรหัตัวสัมมาสัมพุทธัสสะนโมทัสสะบุคคตัวรหัตัวสัมมาสัมพุทธัสสะพุทธังธรรมังสังฆังนมัสสะSecurity, and now everybody's very scared, and uh, 
things have fallen apart very quickly and very badly. And when uh, times are flush, and uh, as, as now all the commentators on <coughs> the financial crisis are uh, pointing out, that uh, it would have been wiser actually to be more circumspect and to look around and, and see, well, you know, this situation we're in, um, it's, it's okay now, it's good right now, but maybe it won't last, and let's make preparation for that. So the naivety uh, gets us into trouble. When we take things for granted, we end up living on the basis of assumption. We assume things are going to be a certain way. And we assume things based on the outer appearance. You know, like right now, uh, we're all in here reasonably healthy, and we take our good health for granted. And so based on that, taking our good health for granted, we assume somehow it's always going to be this way. And so we just get around and, and don't really necessarily look after ourselves properly or really fully appreciate the good health. Yeah. Now the Buddha was very encouraging of, of making the most of, of being young and uh, while we have the opportunity to really give ourselves to practice, give ourselves to investigation, uh, not to assume that we're always going to be young because we're not, and not to assume that our minds are always going to be uh, capable of studying and contemplating Dhamma, because they won't. As we get older, our faculties get duller. So there are a lot of encouragements in the scriptures, and also, of course, the great teachers. Uh, Ajahn Chah, in our case, was regularly encouraging us to not take our good fortune for granted, and to not live on the basis of assumption. So the situations that we're in, we, <coughs> we take for granted and we assume all sorts of things that get us into trouble. We misperceive. And, and so, like uh, some years ago, in fact, quite a few years ago, about 30 years ago, when, when Buddhism was starting to really liven up in the West and Ajahn Chah had been to visit England and, and uh, America and and then when he went back to Thailand and, and people were asking him, say, oh, isn't it wonderful, Lumpur, isn't it wonderful how Buddhism is spreading around the world and now there's more Dhamma centers and there's more monasteries and isn't this a great thing? And, and Ajahn Chah said, yes, it's, uh, yes, there's a lot more of this uh, going on. He said, but he pointed out, he said, well, you know, when you've only got a few mango trees... You've only got a few rotten mangoes, but when you've got lots of mango trees, guess what? You've got lots of rotten mangoes. And of course, he wasn't a sad sack. He wasn't just being miserable. He was just pointing out that uh, there is a, a positive side to this increase in uh, the development of Buddhism in the West, but also be aware there's going to be an increase in problems of difficulties and and certainly it is the case that uh, with, for instance, the development of our monasteries. First, Ajahn Sumato was over here and a handful of monks and getting on well together and then they moved out of their townhouse in Hampstead, Heath and London and got this great big rambling mansion and in West Sussex and a, and a big forest property and, and there more people came and and 
with the increase in property and the increase in people came the increase in responsibility, the increase in problems, the increase in issues, the increase in need for money, increase in insurance and so on and, and all the administrative work that came with it. And then not only Chittas but then uh, Devan and Hanam and Amravati and and so if there isn't uh, wise discernment operating, if we're not engaging our capacity for thinking skillfully, then we, this is what we do, we tend to operate on assumptions. We, we take the situations we find ourselves in for granted, it's always going to be this way. And, and then we operate on the basis of assumption, we misperceive situations like for instance, the idea that the bigger the better yeah, is not, you know, Schumacher wrote a very good book called Small is Beautiful. Uh, I'm not that familiar with everything Schumacher said to know that I fully endorse everything, but certainly it's a very appealing concept. And a lot of what he said was very impressive. The bigger the better is not necessarily true. More is merrier is not necessarily true. But these uh, assumptions that we operate on uh, come out of this lack of, lack of what? Lack of here and now embodied awareness. Because we're not really fully appreciative of what's happening, because we haven't trained this faculty of mindfulness, we haven't trained this ability we have for here and now whole body mind awareness, because we're not living out of this, we live out of that. We live out of taking things for granted. We live out of assumptions. And so we take our political freedoms for granted. We take our good health for granted. We take the situations we find ourselves in for granted. A friend of the monastery was here a few days ago and was saying how there is, um, his young son, I think he's about 10 years old, is whinging and whining because... He went to the cupboard in the morning. There was no cocoa pops. And father said, "Well, you know, you can you can have um, toast." And he's saying, whinging and whining because there wasn't enough Nutella to spread on two pieces of toast. And so I, I pointed out to um, to this um, to our friend, I said, "Well, maybe it's time that you took your boy to to visit Morocco or or one of these countries nearby." And they often go on holidays to Spain and. And Spain's a pretty affluent country, pretty comfortable, and you don't necessarily learn very much there. You just sit in the sun and have a nice swim and so on. But if you cross over the Mediterranean into North Africa, you can see a whole different culture. You see people going without. You see what it's like. Not everybody is having cocoa pops for breakfast every day. Not everybody is getting what they want all the time. They don't even expect to get what they want. And so it's a, it's a smart move uh, for us uh, to remind ourselves in whatever skillful ways we can to not take our good fortune for granted. Because when we do, then assumptions are the basis of our relationship to life, not wise reflection. So we take situations for granted, we take each other for granted relationships and, uh, if we're not living out of a place of awareness of here and now embodied appreciation of what's really going on 
then we just somehow assume that you know we're always going to have our relationships like our our family our parents classically children grow up lack of contrasting environment they grow up they just assume that mommy and daddy always going to be there well that assumption has got functional value when the children are small produces a relative sense of security and stability and they can develop their character accordingly within that that environment and that's appropriate but once you reach a certain stage then what's appropriate is no longer base, uh, living on the basis of assumption but to start to quest, uh, question these assumptions you know. there comes a point in probably around adolescence sometime when well, actually, it comes when any time during growing up when, when these assumptions about reality are, are, are contradicted, that the task of parents and educators is to, is to raise us up and say, look, you know, you thought the cat was going to last forever, you thought the dog was going to last forever, and, and nothing lasts forever, actually. You know, this, is, this is called death, and this is what happens to everything that's born course as I said you don't want to dwell on this too much for children to the point where they lose a sense of security but when it happens it's important that that all of us learn to get the message that this assumption we have that the things we love and things we hold dear are going to always be there is not a clever assumption and so certainly by adolescence and early adulthood uh, what's appropriate is that we engage the spiritual aspirations we have in our hearts the natural questioning that's looking that's looking at life and just saying is it really the way it appears to be we know that things die we know that things come to an end we have a, a kind of looming feeling of insecurity and instead of pushing this aside and covering it over with stories and with fantasies uh, the, the spiritual quest encourages us to engage this in a skillful, mindful way and to, to learn to become familiar with the feeling of uncertainty, the f- feeling of insecurity, and not just operate from the basis of assumption. So in situations, in relationships, yeah. not to just take each other for granted. And when, when, for instance, there's a falling out between friends, one part of us, when we fall out with each other and we've lost that familiar, lovely feeling of friendship or, or love or companionship, you know, fall out with your friend, one part of us just wants to get over it, just wants to get rid of it. We do just kind of, I mean, go and distract ourselves with, with a movie or eating or, or something or or desperately try to patch up the relationship, desperately do anything to, to repair the damage. Now, of course, uh, making a mindful, careful effort to repair the damage is uh, skillful and appropriate and, and something naturally we'd want to follow. But the desperate attempt is coming from the shock that we've got when our assumption has been contradicted. Because we weren't coming from uh, an appreciative awareness, because our, our relationship was not informed by an appreciative awareness, 
of the situation, of the relationship, then we're just basing our relationship on assumption. And that's, that leaves us vulnerable. We're vulnerable to being desperately disappointed, even shocked. So how could that ever happen? Broken-hearted, despair, even driven to suicide over broken relationships. If we hadn't been taking the relationship for granted, if we hadn't been operating on the assumption of permanency, well, that would never have happened. So the thing is to not uh, think it's never going to happen or to try and make it never happen, but to prepare ourselves for when it does happen. Because we all have delusions, so we all do uh, take things for granted. We all do operate on the basis of an unskillful assumption. And so we can all prepare ourselves and say, well, the next time that I'm desperately disappointed and my assumptions about the situation I live in or relationships uh, are contradicted, next time that happens is that don't desperately try to get over it. You know, let's, let's look at it. Let's receive it. Let's really feel the consequence. So really you know, put our hands together in Anjali and say, welcome, Dukkha. You know, dukkha is the teacher. We've all heard this in gazillion numbers of times. You know, the Buddha is saying, you, know, you stay stuck in this miserable affair because you don't see two things. You don't see suffering. You don't see the cause of suffering. You don't see you know, this feeling of frustration, despair, and we don't see the real cause of this feeling of frustration, despair, disappointment. You know. And so when the teaching comes to us, when the teacher comes to us, uh, and this, our assumptions about reality are, are contradicted, are frustrated, we put our hands together and under and welcome it. You know, going against our natural impulse or our conditioned impulse, shouldn't call it natural, but our, our, our habit of trying to get over it. And that way we never learn. When our assumptions are frustrated and contradicted, that's the opportunity to learn. That's the very moment that we can learn. And so yes, of course, in our relationships we do what we can to skillfully repair the damage. But to see that a lot of the problems came from taking each other for granted. Yeah. And then operating on the assumption that it's always going to be like this. We're always going to be friends. We're always going to be together. No way. In terms of reality, no way are we always going to be together. Surely, guaranteed, we're going to separate. If it's not soon, it'll be later. So taking the situations we live in, our good fortune for granted, taking relationships for granted, taking ourselves for granted, and then assuming all sorts of things about ourselves. If we live with a well-cultivated here and now, whole body, mind, judgment-free of aware awareness of who and what we perceive ourselves to be, then we're not going to be assuming so much about ourselves. So we're not going to be blindly assuming things about ourselves. And the consequence of that, if we're not assuming things about ourselves, means we've got a vitality, we've got a presence, that means we can accord with change. How often... Is it the case that we fall into one of our old habits and then we start thinking, oh, there I go again. There I go again, doing that again. 
I've always done it in the past, here I am doing it again, and I'm always going to do it in the future. Well, what a dumb thing to think. You know, that's not, that's not mindful, that's not wise, that's not discernment, that's not clever. And here we do it. You know, why do we do it? It's the habit of assumption. Habit of assuming ourselves to be some sort of permanent thing. You know, we, we assume ourselves to be these fixed things. We have these, because we take our life for granted, because we're not living with here and now awareness, yeah. investigating impermanence, investigating change, living with instability, unpredictability, because we're not doing that, we assume permanence. We assume that this process, this utterly unstable dynamic process that I refer to as me, we assume that it's a solid, fixed thing. And this is a disaster. In Pali it's called michaditi. It's basically a a false view, a false way of seeing a disaster. And because we have these false views, the views that don't accord with reality, then we operate on all sorts of false assumptions. Like that I'm a fixed thing, that I can't change. And how unfortunate. You know, these really painful habits that we have and and then we just assume, well, it's always going to be like this. There's no basis in reality for that. Not in reality. Okay, maybe we've got memories of having done things in the past, but that doesn't mean to say that it's always going to be this way. So to take whatever, whenever our assumptions about ourselves, about situations, about our relationship, about ourselves, when are these assumptions uh, contradicted, to not miss the opportunity to learn from that. When, for instance, we have a, um, a desire for something, and it's a really one of those really convincing desires. Yeah, they come along quite regularly. It's, it's a really convincing desire, and, and maybe part of us doesn't want to admit it, but we, we really do feel absolutely convinced. When I get that object, when I get that gadget, or when I see that person again, or when I can you know, see that movie, or whatever, we've got some object in our mind comes up, or when I understand this little conundrum, you know, some desire arises, desire arises in the mind, and based on uninspected assumptions, we, what do we do? We cling to the desire. We get burned. You know, why do we get burned from desire? The Buddha had desire, but the Buddha didn't get lost in desire. I think it was a few days ago, uh, the 17th of June was the occasion of uh, remembering our teacher Ajahn Chah's birthday. And as we usually do on such occasions, uh, a, one of his transcribed, translated Dhamma talks was read. And on this occasion we read uh, the talk, Non-Abiding. I think it's the uh, fourth talk in the recently reprinted, uh, collected teachings of Ajahn Chah. And in there, I think, if I remember rightly, Ajahn Chah is talking about how the Buddha had desire. The Buddha had desire, but he didn't get fooled by desire. Initially, he got fooled by desire, and so he suffered accordingly. 
But once the Buddha understood desire, it's like desire didn't pass away, desire didn't disappear. The Buddha still had desire, he had a desire to help, he, had, he was motivated to eat, he was uh, motivated to bathe, and, uh, motivated to, to tell the monks off when they were misbehaving, motivated to share the uh, inspiration and the, the realization that he'd had with other people. So the Buddha had desire, but the difference between the Buddha's desire and our desire is what? The Buddha didn't find identity in desire. For the Buddha was no I want. And that talk, uh, non-abiding, Nathan Shah was talking about that. This habit we have, this assumption we have about that we fix views is where we should find identity. We like to be happy. We're attached to being happy. We're attached to being sad. Letting go of happiness and letting go of sadness, he was pointing out, is something that most people find very unattractive because we're addicted to being somebody. We're addicted to being something. Even a sad thing is something that we'd prefer than not knowing who we are. And we have these habits of finding and abiding, our habits of clinging, our habits of fixed views, fixed positions. And so the, the underlying thrust of all the Buddha's teachings and all the great teachers, the great Buddhist teachers, is to find skillful means for encouraging us to come to recognize this as we're doing it. So that we see, we get the message that we're not victims. When desire arises, usually what happens for us, desire arises, clinging happens, and then we suffer. And so it's only with hindsight we think, oh, right, God, I wish I hadn't clung. I shouldn't have done that. Well, if we're clever, at that point we say, okay, we go back and say, well, what, where was it? At what point did I do it? Because we've been through it so many times. It's so tedious. Instead of just distracting ourselves with sensuality or with indulging in regret and, or self-blaming or blaming others or whatever, all of that, that's avoidance of really opening up, opening our hearts, expanding our awareness to accommodate the pain, the frustration, the disappointment and say it feels like this to be caught up in habits feels like this, it really hurts yes, to find a way of really receiving that listening to all the stuff in our mind that's trying to avoid it feeling the feeling in the body taking it in and this way we're actually, this way we're actually undoing the habit we're not feeding the habit anymore we're not motivated, we're not giving momentum to the habit of grasping. We're undoing the habit of assumptions. So the addiction to fixed views, fixed positions that we project onto each other, we project onto our situation, we project onto ourselves. When we are mindful of the consequence of our clinging, we really fully receive it and don't avoid it, then we're, t- we're pulling the plug on it. We're basically, we're not, we're not nourishing those habits in the way we used to. And so slowly the momentum of becoming uh, is reduced. And so uh, that's one way of addressing uh, this uh, habit we have. When desire arises, 
or whatever it is, solving an interesting problem and we just can't let go of it, we can't sleep at night until we've solved it, or trying to fix a broken relationship, or, or going out and buying a new gadget, and this desire arises that if we don't catch it quickly and grasping happens, then when the pain already happens, to not miss the opportunity. To welcome that, to find a way to say, all right, this is not something going wrong. It's an amazing thing that when we suffer, we we have this feeling, somehow it shouldn't be this way. Like, if you eat too much of the meal, and then in the afternoon you feel bloated, or you don't feel good. It's if somehow, you know, it shouldn't be this way. Or if, um, you know, we don't do any exercise, and then the body gets sick, as if it's somehow the doctor's fault or the national health's fault or English climate fault or whatever. Well, if we'd exercised, uh, you know, we wouldn't have had this problem. If we hadn't overeaten, we wouldn't have this problem. Yeah. You know, somebody was relating to me recently, they, they received a, a serious medical prognosis and, and they were commenting on how difficult it is to live one moment at a time. And and if we if we find this you know, this sort of a struggle to really live in the moment, so it's so difficult, and we could start complaining about it as if somehow somebody else's fault that it's so difficult to live in the moment and not follow proliferations, uh, expectations, assumptions about the future. The reason it's difficult is because we've invested in speculation, in fantasy, in assumptions. And so it feels difficult, but it's not like something's going wrong. This is what's supposed to happen. This is when we when we suffer as a result of our clinging. This is what's supposed to happen. Now, if we say, "Oh, I wish it shouldn't be this way," or or, or we blame other people, it's like it's like um, it's like wanting to have leprosy, for instance. You know, like a leper can stick their hand in the fire and not feel anything. You wouldn't want to do that, would you? It's like you know, killing off your nerve endings. So you you wouldn't want to do that. Uh, but that's what we're saying. We say, oh, it shouldn't be this way. Well, no, it should be this way. This is the way we learn. So the Buddha and all the teachers, over and over again, have taught and encouraged us to to try and remember sooner that when we are experiencing the consequences of our habits of clinging, not to judge ourselves, not to judge others. But that's just to find, as soon as we can, a way of just saying, it's like this. To really break this habit of assuming. And to see the connection between assuming things and taking things for granted. To really, to break this connection with mindfulness, with wise thinking, with skillful thinking, with wise discernment. To not buy into, not feed that habit. There's a very famous uh, teaching story that comes out of Japan. As the story goes, a local village girl fell pregnant and she, uh, when she was challenged about it uh, by her father or by the villagers, uh, she said, oh, it was the monk who, who lives down the road. Of course, everybody was very angry about it and, and when the baby was born, they took the baby and they went and gave it to the monk and said, this is yours. And so... When, uh, when they confronted him with it, he accepted the child and he said, oh, is that so? 
And then, as the story goes, it was some years later, the, the, uh, the young woman in the village was racked with grief and guilt and, and remorse and eventually uh, came out and confessed that, that it wasn't the monk uh, down the road at all. It was the, uh, the carpenter's son or somebody or other. And, and so all the villagers rushed out to the monk and, and asked for forgiveness and, and apologized and, and took the child back. And, and when they did this, the, the response from the monk was, oh, is that so? Is that so? And so this relationship to life, is that so, is a wise relationship, a more appropriate relationship, and contrasting very strongly with the kind of relationship that we tend to have, the whinging and whining, oh, there's only white bread, there's no brown bread, or there's no cocoa pops, oh, it's grey and wet again, it's not sunny, and all of the taking our good fortune for granted, taking each other for granted, taking ourselves for granted, breeds these assumptions which lead us to relate to life in an unintelligent, unskillful way that doesn't lead to happiness, doesn't lead to peace. So thank you very much this evening for your attention.